All right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Abandoned Theater Podcast. We are writers and podcasters, mostly podcasters, mostly nothing lately. For, yeah. Uh, <laughs> for speakers and screens, you know. <laughs> yes. We, we do occasionally write and podcast for speakers and screens at speakersscreens.tumblr.com. And uh, this is our first uh, abandoned theater podcast in uh, about a few few months. I've been about two and a half months since our last one. Yeah. But we are ready to talk some movies. Robbie and I are here today mm-hmm. to talk movies because we love movies. Yeah. Um, our normal uh, the normal uh, trifecta is not whole today, as Danny is not with us, not permanently, but you know, he's not with us today. It's sort of the same reason why we've been podcasting so infrequently, just busy. <laughs> yeah, just we're all busy. Busy lives. Actually, really was not that busy this summer. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it just the, didn't happen. Yeah, just didn't just didn't happen. The pieces never fell into place. Three, uh, two schedules can be tricky. Three schedules is nearly mm-hmm. impossible sometimes. Yeah. Just to, to juggle. Yeah. It's okay, because we're, we're going to talk about a slew of actually really good movies, because this has actually been a good three months. There was sort of a dry spot in September. As but, there usually is. Yeah, as there usually September is. is. September is usually, like, just August part two. Yes, yeah, so, so September and late August has become the new February, because February actually has good limited releases released wide, and then it's, like, surprising hits. Yeah. But September is the new just disgusting... Yeah ditch of cinema yeah just the toxic wasteland exactly films but we are out of there and we are into for better or for worse prestige season um (laughs) but really we're not talking about nearly any of the big prestige movies we're mostly talking small movies today except we're not our first movie is not a small movie (laughs) no <laughs> uh, Robbie, would you like to introduce uh, Ridley Scott's latest space movie? Sure. Uh, the Martian uh, stars uh, Matt Damon as a uh, botanist and an astronaut, uh, an engineer to be specific, uh, with this crew that's uh, that's on Mars. It's essentially a present day situation where we actually put money into NASA and actually, you know, explore space the way we used to dream about it um and out um suddenly a storm hits and this antenna radio uh antenna um slices into uh matt damon's uh like communication gear and he he basically passes out and everyone else assumes that he's dead and leaves uh Turns out, though, Matt Damon is not dead. Um, with with the Martian, my question is, when does when was Matthew McConaughey supposed to come save him? <laughs> I was waiting for I was more I was more waiting for Ghost uh, Ghost George Clooney. <laughs> oh, Ghost George Clooney would have been so much better. To be honest, this movie Interstellar and Gravity would make a wonderful space trilogy. We've we've actually yeah. been hashtag blessed with a lot of good space movies lately. To me, Gravity's still the, the the creme de la creme of the bunch, and I actually would say that I still slightly prefer um, Interstellar to The Martian, but I think I was the biggest fan of The Interstellar on the podcast. The Martian, though, is a really enjoyable film. This is 
this is Scott at his most enjoyable argument. Yeah. This is one of those movies where um, it's just about it. It it's a bit. It's a little bit like Alien in a way. Oh uh, yeah. In how it treats space exploration and it treats these wide uh, scientific or uh, science fiction ideas as just sort of people's jobs. It's just sort of a day to day thing, but there's also a sense of I don't know, like optimism and accomplishment Mm -hmm. to this film. It, I've heard some critics say it's like what (laughs) I didn't end up. I didn't see Tomorrowland, but I heard I heard some critics say that it's like what Tomorrowland should have been. And who would have guessed that Ridley Scott, who has, I mean, you have seen. It took you the second watch. Have seen and really enjoyed the counselor. And you and I, and you and I, I even though I think I think we probably both have softened on it, like Prometheus more than a lot of people. Yeah, um, it's it's fucking stupid, uh, but it's it fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, stu- it's, it's stupid as fuck. It doesn't really mean anything, but it, <laughs> I mean, it's production designed to to death. Uh, yes, for better and, or worse, but exactly. Know. But we neither. Oh my of us... god, <laughs> the scene where Charlie's okay. Spoilers for Prometheus. It's <laughs> three years, but who gives a fuck? The scene where Charlie's there and gets run, gets yeah. gets squat, gets squished by the spaceship. Yes. Just run the other direction. She just kept running straight the entire time. <laughs> I know. It, it, it's 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 the worst moment in a movie with several um, of them. So but just, however, but it's still like I, I still it's still entertaining i guess and i don't care enough about mythologies or anything to be like offended by it like Uh, offended by its alien connection yeah yeah i don't don't care the fast bender and repulse are undeniably great in that movie and um Mm. i also really like idris elba um in that film but the martian the martian is i know i mean he's almost forgettable unfortunately but he is good fortunately Um, but with the Martian also, to, to piggyback on the idea of Prometheus as maybe a good return to space, in our view, the Martian is the sort of the promise uh, followed through uh, in terms of Ridley Scott returning to space. And like Prometheus, it uses an ensemble cast well. It actually uses a bunch better than Prometheus yeah. did. Like uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, for some reason, playing a character with an Indian name. Jeff Daniels doing <laughs> really? I didn't know. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's like Kapoor or something like that. Yeah, it's weird, but um, I love it because it's chill. As you of course, I'm fine. Um, Jessica Chastain, Kate Mara, Donald Glover is weird, but he's good uh, enough in his scenes. Um, Jeff Daniels playing his newsroom character. It's pretty much. And I and none of this is a slight because I think they're all good. Sean Bean and with a he really, doesn't die. He doesn't die. I this know. Time. <laughs> Spoiler alert: Sean Bean doesn't die, and there is a hilarious callback to one of his films in this movie. Really, I, I didn't pick that up. That they, they started talking about Project uh, Project Elrond or something. <laughs> oh like my that. God, I I remember that. <laughs> I <laughs> didn't pick it up because I didn't. I, for some reason, I didn't recognize that that was Sean Bean until the Sean credits. Bean, and Sean Bean's like, it's from the Lord of the Rings. Like he would know, of course. He would. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, like, which so it uses his ensemble well, and it uses them to in many ways hilariously. It's this is a funny movie. This is a movie that a lot of people have compared to Guardians of the Galaxy more than the other space movies. And while it's not, really? even though... All the disco, um, I guess? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so like the music references and, and the funny moments. And I can see sort of Peter Quell. Is it Peter Quell? 
yeah, I think so. I'm a terrible superhero fan. Oh, yeah. The, the Peter Quellian aspect to Matt Damon's character. Star-Lord. Yeah, the, yeah the, there we go. The Star-Lordian aspect to Matt Damon's character. I can see it. But to me, this is still very much in the realm of the survival of Sandra Bullock's character and the sort of, uh, the, the sort of intelligence and heroism of both the Bullock character and the McConaughey character in, in the, the other films. I compare them still more to those. It's very different in tone to both of them, but especially to Gravity, because yeah. Gravity has a tone of extreme and very warranted anxiety mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, ultimate terror, because that's a certain death situation for most people. I mean, I think everyone accepts the fact that the science in that movie doesn't really hold up and maybe it doesn't really in this movie either and it, and it certainly i certainly don't think think it wouldn't interstellar either <laughs> the i think that the science has continually held up per movie i think interstellar yeah. science was more based on fact because they got it's more based on the, theoretical and, physics like, yes you know. and the martian was not written by a writer i hear and many i've never read the book but i hear from a lot of people it's not very well written it's very sciencey i've heard yes yeah, so the writer is a physicist yeah, so it's actually straight from the horse's mouth. I know people that really like it. So yeah, I mean, I, I think the appeal of reading a book, of, a fictional book about science, a what-if book through the mind of a scientist is appealing. It just doesn't mean that the prose is going to mm. be, uh, to inspire future writers or anything. Right. Uh, but I, sort of an I, airplane I, novel. Exactly. And I think Drew Goddard um, elevates what— He spices it up. Yeah, he elevates what I anticipate that book reads like because this this movie is is well written. The, yeah. the movie the movie moves at a great pace. The dialogue is believable. There's there's a couple like I I like Donald Glover, but he is a weird character to me. Yeah, it felt a little out of place. Like one of those characters that you just pop in at the end of the second act. Yeah, just, and just like comes out of nowhere and kind of just like oh well, well another character. Exactly. And it didn't like, I don't think it's a flaw. It's just, um, I, I think the one thing that keeps this movie from being as great as Gravity and as really, really, really good as Interstellar to me is that it does have a lower ambition. However, that's not a slight because it actually manages to accomplish everything it sets out to do, while arguably Interstellar of the three does not. So, like, I feel like this is a very admirable entertainment. We need more entertainments like this because it yeah. follows through with what it sets forth. And, and it, it's pro-science. It is. It's a pro It's a secular uh, feel-good <laughs> story. And we don't get a lot of those because most of these, the, the feel-good stories that come out nowadays are those sort of faith-based movies. But in this movie, Ooh. he literally carves up a crucifix in order for, for the sake of science. Like it's, it's like a comment from a, I mean, a very outspoken atheist filmmaker in Ruth Scott. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, like, that that's the direction that he went. And I, I think it's really smart. And it's not exclusive because, you know, he, he drops a line, well, uh, Banks, I think he's talking about the, about the Michael Pena character. Oh. That, I think that's his crucifix, if I'm remembering correctly. Really? Um, but it's with one of the other crew, uh, crew members who, who left him. Hmm. And then he uses that to create the, the, the water because it goes with the whole hydrogen situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that this, I, I think that this is a good movie. I, in many ways, it's like the Argo of the season. Um, yeah, I would say that. You know. uh, I, I mean, they both have a catchy cat. I like uh, it more than Argo, but you know. I, I like this more than Argo too. It's not as problematic, and I, I 
Affleck is going to call it Argo, man, whatever. We're not going to open that can of worms. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Ben Affleck uh, has grown a lot me as an actor, but I still think, especially after Gone Girl, but I still think that Damon is the more charismatic uh, performer. Um, I actually kind of feel the opposite. Interesting. I. I don't know. I mean, maybe I had, don't see Matt Damon in a whole bunch of stuff right now, but mm-hmm. I mean, he's very charismatic at this movie. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's a really where I was going with the whole you know split in tone between this and Gravity is that he's a pretty chill bro for being you know he is, yeah out you know abandoned out on fucking Mars. Uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> Damn it. Well, uh, uh, that I said Ben Affleck was sort of. Uh, less charismatic than that name. Oh, I don't know. I feel like, what was the turning point for me? I don't know, because there, there was a point where I just like, where I just became like, damn, I really like Matt Damon. I'm not, or not Matt Damon, uh, Ben Affleck. Yeah, and for, uh, for me, it took all the way, I mean, even though I, I like all three movies he's directed, I've at bare minimum liked. So hmm. I, th- I think he's a, a director that I'll probably continue to watch his films. But as yeah. an actor, it took all the way to Gone Girl for me. To really like get on the bandwagon for Ben Affleck. I think it was. I don't know. Let me, let me look up his filmography. I'm wondering when I. Well, the, the the thing that's helped me turn around on a lot of big actors like George Clooney, and Matt Damon, other than like really entertaining movies like the Oceans films, is Brad Pitt took a long time for me to get the appeal yeah. of. It, it took a glorious bastards for Brad Pitt for me. Mm. Um, but it the, took burn after reading of all things, <laughs> which is not a bad choice because no. I think that movie is pretty wonderful. Um, but. Um, for me, it's every time I watch a Pacific Rim or a Godzilla, or I didn't watch Tran- uh, the Transformers movies. Well, yeah, and, uh, to a certain extent, those. But anytime I watch these movies with these boring ass white, <laughs> nondescript, yeah, the the, Char- wild, the the Charlie Hunnams. Yeah, like every time I have to watch a movie with Charlie, the fucking Hunnam, uh, what's his name? The, Aaron the, Taylor Johnson. The J, the J. Courtney's, whatever that dude's name. Yeah, is. yeah, Jai Courtney. Yeah, anytime one of these guys is in a movie, or even I guess Taylor Kitsch is really good in certain things. Sam Worthington is the OG of this prototype yeah, per, yeah, of actor. Yeah, it, it goes back to Avatar, the the, the <laughs> syndrome. Every time one of these guys appears in a movie, I'm like, God. This movie would be so much better if this was Matt Damon or right. George Clooney or Brad Pitt or, or these guys who everyone's like, they're not that great. They play the same <laughs> character. It doesn't ultimately matter because like they're Harry still same like, yeah, George Clooney plays George Clooney every fucking time. We know that. But it, I want to see George Clooney every time, you know, exactly. I don't really mind that. And, even, yeah. you know, Brad Pitt has, you know, developed his quasi southern ish, <laughs> you know, type of delivery. That, born Brad. You know, um, especially in, uh, his character is really fucking great in, uh, The Counselor, you know, oh, I see, yeah, Ridley Scott. I really need, I have the Blu-ray. I also got the Kingdom of Heaven, uh, uh, director's cut, because I hear that's really good, too. So I need to sit down and watch both those director's cuts. Mm. I, they're on my shelf. The Counselor is a fucking trip. Like, the first time I saw it, I really despise it, and I think it's... Uh, I think I just could not get into the rhythm of his writing. I think I honestly needed subtitles. The, the Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. It's really like it's it's almost not a Ridley Scott film at all. It's it's like a Cormac, yeah. it's, a, it's a Cormac McCarthy novel that Ridley Scott filmed, and it's not not that that's not well filmed. It's really well it's really well shot and everything, but the writing 
he I think Manola Dargis in the New York, from the New York Times said in her review that it, it McCormick McCarthy clearly has not read a single screenwriting manual and he sh- it shows and that's mm-hmm. a positive that's a huge yeah. positive like he does not care about anything that you're supposed to I mean there's a couple of narrative you know there's a couple of really obvious Chekhov's gun things yeah. in there and uh you know that's that's neither here nor there but uh, overall this is a really you, you know for a director doing all these movies in outer space that movie might as well exist on a different just plane of existence yeah because so the, and you know like sicario which we're going to get to uh-huh. it's it shows just how you do not want to fuck with any of those cartelish like folks you know they will fuck your life up you know oh yeah i mean to 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 an extent like when you're trying to prove a point or you're trying to get at a truth to have sort of grotesques is not necessarily a bad thing even if it doesn't feel like they're on planet earth per se like i mean if you don't read a shakespeare play and think that this is how people actually talk i think sorry go on no i mean i just that's the point i was making like like sometimes Sometimes that can be a bad thing. Like, this person doesn't know how people work. Mm, but sometimes yeah. the, the sort of foreign way people act and that it just comes off as weird can be really interesting. Yeah, and... Uh, damn, I forgot my point. <laughs> I forgot my point. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I, I, I think what we're saying is that Ridley Scott has kind of been back for a little while. He's, he's still really inconsistent. And just because it's a Ridley Scott film doesn't mean you should yeah. see it. I mean that but, that Exodus Gods and Kings thing that <laughs> seemed like a total contract thing to me. Yeah, I, I did not see that, and I mean, I'm intrigued in Alien Paradise Lost, the the next premiere. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna see it. I mean, if it, <laughs> if it look, I mean, I'll be honest. Like the a big part of my appeal. I remember what I was gonna say about Sicario. Um, uh, a big, but I'll say this about uh, Prometheus. A, a big part of my why I love Prometheus is purely visual. No, I don't think that's a slight. You know, one of the reasons yeah. I purely love 2001, which this movie tries to ape in a lot of ways, is purely visual in a lot of ways. You know, uh, it's just that 2001 doesn't have fucking brain dead writing and yeah. you know bullshit philosophizing. That's really what kills the movie, honestly. Yeah, Prometheus, Ridley Scott's direction is much better than Damon Lindelof's screen. Yeah. Um, what was gonna? What I was gonna say about Sicario? Yeah, the counselor. Let's, let's go ahead and just fully transition to Sicario. Yeah, we might as well because you know we fucking love the Martian. It's great. Yeah, um, see the Martian. It's as good as everyone says it is. Mm-hmm. Just go, you know. Just, just yeah. go, motherfucker. Just go. <laughs> um, what I was gonna say about Sicario and uh, the counselor was that I really appreciate uh, a film that lets me know how dire the stakes really are for the characters and just for the situations i feel like that aids in my enjoyment and my engagement in the movie Mm -hmm. um that's why i like a lot of for example uh that's why i like a lot of horror movies honestly because you know for example in black christmas which is probably my favorite slasher film of all time when you see the crazy serial killer in the attic, you know how fucked up it's going to get, you know, mm-hmm. and you know that, that nothing is going to be okay. And there's something about, I don't know, maybe just 
just something weird about me, but there's something about that feeling that I kind of look for in a movie sometimes, you know? Well, I mean, it, it, it feels dangerous. Yeah. And it's yeah. a movie actually. And I'm really like, attracted to that. That's yeah, one I mean, of the reasons I love Sicario. Oh, yeah. I, I, like, I think Sicario also can overcome some script problems by just being mm-hmm. just amazingly directed and acted and shot and scored. And, well, let's just go ahead and introduce this. So, what's Sicario right. about? Uh, okay, so Sicario starts with Emily Blunt, who's in this SWAT-like FBI uh, sort of kidnap response team, and they perform a raid on this house in, I think, New Mexico or Arizona or or one of those one of those types of places, and they find something pretty fucked up. I'll, I'll just say that it's pretty fucked up, and then they go outside, and then there's a big explosion, and it's pretty clear that there's car, there's cartel activity happening in American soil. So, uh, Emily Blunt volunteers to join this sort of. It's not even really very clearly defined what they are. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a cross between the FBI, some, let's just say, rogue agents. Yeah. Um, and you get the sense that. Well, first of all, what what they say they're going to do is they don't really say what they're going to do. They're going to they say stuff like um we're going to we're going to shake shit up or something like that. Like we're going to we're going to make enough noise for them to notice. Mm-hmm. You know? So you you find out pretty quick or you get the sense pretty quickly that, you know, something is not really right with the supposed good guys. Yeah. And then you get Benicio del Toro. Oh my god! Who, if you ask me, I mean, him and Emily Blunt are the MVT- MVPs of this film. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, the best supporting actor performance and one of the best actress performances. I think they're great. He scares like most movies I see with Benicio. I'm like, man, I love him. He's in this movie. Like if yeah. I watch uh, Fear and Loathing, he's funny, or or uh, Inherent Vice, he's funny, or even he, uh, he's like he's. He, he's amazing. He's so empathetic in Traffic yeah. as the cop trying to and fight people against. People have been comparing this role to Traffic, but I would say this is a completely different character. I mean, this this is that's even more ridiculous to me than the Christoph Waltz comparisons that we heard <laughs> after Django, which I kind of get, but this I don't get at all because he's not scary in Traffic. He terrifies me in this movie, yeah. even when he's just sitting he's there. So quiet. Oh God! Like he's give that guy an Oscar nomination for his third <laughs> Oscar because nomination because he's just that he's that good he's a different character in a lot of ways than what i'm about to compare him to but it mm-hmm. reminded me of jesse plemons in breaking bad interesting how yeah. he was so cruel but just so quiet and kind of mm-hmm. almost friendly and benevolent in some ways but yeah you like just the just the tension of that character it just like gives you knots in your back you know he, he he's like that character, but he's even more tortured. Like there's right. like, uh, like I mean, you find out very clearly that this from, is almost. Sorry, go on. I was gonna say you know from the get go that this guy's seen. Some exactly, shit. that's the best. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, like it's not a spoiler. The moment, the first moment you see this guy in the back of of the frame, and as he gets introduced, you're just like, you could just you see it in his face. Yeah. Like I think he might be wearing sunglasses or not. I don't remember if you see his eyes at that they moment. They say that he he says that he he goes where they send me. Yeah. 
who who who's they? Who's yeah, <laughs> these vague ass pronouns. Yeah. So, one thing I love about Emily Blunt's performance is that, you know, no one is no one is being. Everyone is potentially, just, lying. You know, no one no one can be trusted in this environment, and she. Throughout, you can tell is pretty terrified but she doesn't show it Mm -hmm. she is calm collected in every single moment even though in a lot of moments especially in the third act you can see in her eyes that the worst possible thing has just happened oh yeah i mean it's she is our wedge into this corrupt almost bizarre like surreal world she right. is our human her and her partner are the human element in this film that would have not it would have felt inhuman without them in many right. ways and uh, um this movie's getting flack for completely ignoring its female character in the second half and to me they don't that, get the point yeah that's like i don't care what Vill- uh, villeneuve says i don't care what anyone says this film it it's obvious that the point of the film is that she can't do anything and it's not necessarily because of her gender it's sort of like the the big powers that be control all of us like it's we are emily blunt regardless of our gender and gender is absolutely a part of it because yeah because she is a stark contrast between all these agents who are these big gruff bearded men Right. Josh Brolin. And, and pseudo hippie Josh Brolin. Yeah. Like Josh. Uh, Playing the pseudo hippie after, after inherent vice. I, yeah. Playing the, the hippie hating cop. They, yeah. The, the film spying, they compared him to uh, a mix between uh, Bigfoot and Llewellyn from No Country. Like he's like more realistic like mm-hmm. Llewellyn, but he's also has this, he's the most cartoonish character in the film. I mean, I think Josh Brolin's really good in this movie. Um, I think he's a necessary look into like this cowboy. He, he's a cowboy in yeah. a lot of ways. He's like this, like, oh, we're going to put things into our own hands. You know, we're, we're going to use our manly guns and, and, yeah. and solve problems. The only person of his troop that even as frightening as he is, you can understand the darkness within him is Benicio's character. Mm-hmm. Like, like, right. He, like, He's I the mean, most transparent from the beginning in a lot of ways. Yeah, and that's so interesting because yeah. at the end he's the quote-unquote most problematic character. He's also, other than Blunt, I mean, him and Blunt are the two interesting characters. Ah, it's just, it's interesting because, yeah. I mean, everyone in that group of cowboys is a white male. Benicio mm-hmm. is an outsider in a way. And yeah. the, and the two our, our two wedges in the film are a black man and a white woman. So it's sort of huh. like I, I wonder if there's commentary yeah. even in that idea. I haven't thought about that. When I think of it, yeah. Like, like, like sometimes I think, man, this movie's so complex. Kind of like the, the Mike D'Angelo reading on the film and, and the subtlety, uh, because he 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 has a really nice take, he, and he's been championing this film since Cannes because it was coolly received in Cannes. It's just now getting yeah. raised. This isn't. Um, this doesn't seem like the type of movie that would get the biggest, uh, the biggest reception from Cannes. Mm-hmm. Or maybe maybe it would. I'm not sure. It, they seem kind of picky with their actiony type films. Yeah. Like you know, it seems like you'd have to be Nicholas Winding Refn yeah. <laughs> to well, to appeal to them. Maybe. 
or, or even the Coen brothers, depending, like, because No Country, was there, but No Country didn't win any awards. But that, but that was also partially because they knew it would win others, and they wanted to uh, give that wonderful m- movie that you like that I haven't seen, the Romanian film. They want to give that one. Um, oh, um, Beyond the Light? Uh, no, not Beyond the Lights. <laughs> Beyond the Hills, uh, that one? Before the before that one. The one that won the um, Four months, three yeah. weeks, two days? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, occasionally they, uh, they accept them. Um, I would like to say my favorite review I've read of this is Matt Singer's micro-review on Letterboxd. Remember the scene in Boogie Nights where Alfred Merlina is randomly tossing firecrackers at Mark Wahlberg and John C. Riley? Sicario <laughs> is that scene for two straight hours with no sister. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, like, I left this movie with a knot in my back. I haven't felt that way in a movie in a long time. Like, I felt exhilarated after Fury Road. This movie just stressed me out, and I like that. It actually affected me, and I'm, I, I like to be affected right. in cinema. Yeah. And it, it, it's a visceral experience. Like, I, and I had no idea how that last scene was going to go. Like, maybe to yeah. some people, it's predictable. Um, the, the last confrontation, like w- between two of our main characters, I, I had no I idea. I wouldn't say it was predictable. Like, I, I, I was on, I was on the edge of my seat. Like, what is going to happen in this scene? Hmm. <laughs> How is this going to end? And then it ends with sort of an ellipsis, which is sort of the perfect way to end it. So like, I was satisfied with the ending, but I just didn't know where it was going. Did you hear they're going to try to franchise this movie? What? They're going to make like they're supposedly they're planning sequels. Why? I don't know. Like what? And how would you continue? This seems kind of an open and shut case to me. I mean, I agree. This, this I is mean, not... I like this movie a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I mean. Sicarios. We don't, we don't need a. We don't need that many more cartel movies. I mean, we know why the drug war has failed. I mean, this is a great take on it. Don't get me wrong. This is a great execution. But I mean, more of that, unless you're exploring it from more, more angles, and this movie does. I don't see. Mm-hmm. I don't see why you would do it. Yeah, I, I don't think it'd be a good idea. And, and whose character would you follow? It's another. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. Well, see Sicario. Yeah, totally. It's it's sick. Twisted. Um, so what's next? Alright, I don't know. I'm gonna scroll um, up. The walk. The walk. The walk. They suck the walk. Alright, would you like me to introduce the walk? Oh, luckily it's recording. I didn't really check. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. We, we, we have some good reviews. Thank loud. <laughs> um, Alright. Would you like me to do it or would you like Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can go ahead. Okay. The Walk is the latest uh, Robert Zemeckis joint, and it um, <laughs> it, it's a film about the very famous uh, walk across the World Trade Centers uh, by uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, who is Jacques Philippe Petit. Petit. Philippe Petit. Thank you. Sorry. Yes. A real, per- a real person who really did yeah. this in the... What, the early 80s, the 70s? What, when was it? Yeah, right when they built the World Trade Center. Yeah. They were finishing up the second tower. And this has been already, uh, in many ways, the story has been told through the very famous documentary, Man on Wire. Yes. Uh, um, but this is... I, Robbie has seen Man on Wire. I have not. And this, yeah. from what all I can tell, is a completely different interpretation of the story. First off, it's dramatized. And second off, it is through a very, the very particular lens... Of late Robert Zemeckis, um, <laughs> for which, better or worse. Yeah, for better or worse. <laughs> and I mean, I haven't been a fan of many of his recent films, but he no. has his 
He has his fans like Kanye just recently tweeted that Robert Zemeckis is one of his favorite living directors. Great. Well, who else is on that list? Fucking Tim Burton? Yes. <laughs> um, Dennis Dugan? <laughs> yes, the, 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 the Kanye uh, can Tim Hurley, whoever the whoever the other fucking dude that does Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> this um, the walk is a, is a pretty decent argument in my opinion for IMAX, even though unfortunately I only have availability of fake IMAX. And <laughs> I didn't see this in IMAX. And of the execution of 3D technology, because I saw The Martian, <laughs> I saw The Martian and this both in 3D, and, mm. and the 3D in this film for during this climax. Far superior. Um, yeah, th- but this is not a post job, like the Martian was. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I really feel like um, even though I didn't see it in 3D, I got um, you know everyone says you know about Avatar's 3D. Oh, there's so much depth. Oh, I can uh, <laughs> I can see everything. I feel like I'm in it. With the walk, I didn't even see it, and I saw it in 2D, and I saw it in a normal size screen. I didn't. I wasn't even that close. I was sort of in the back rows like the third to last row or something like that i still felt really in involved with it and part of that might be my what's it called acrophobia or um fear of heights you know uh, i don't remember uh, what it is. yeah but um have vertigo <laughs> yeah uh but you really get the sense of uh, distance <laughs> of you know specifically of a quarter fucking three quarters of a mile distance between where the camera is and where the ground is <laughs> and um, even though there are a few really stupid moments in the last few months in the last act of the you know the walk mm-hmm. uh, you know there's a CGI bird and then there's this I don't know, this other part that's technically a spoiler that I can't really give away, that is sort of a last-second thing that's kind of stupid, but... It, uh, it is a bit technical. Yeah. Uh, but I was... I came out of this movie, I don't know, more entertained and kind of more... Uh, moved, I guess you can say. At that final <laughs> shot. Um, no, honestly, like, well, here's the thing. Like, a lot of people have been talking about how um, some people have said that this is a pretty good 9/11 memorial. Some people have said this is a bad 9/11 memorial. I maybe just because I wasn't, I was aware of what happened. You know when it happened, mm-hmm. but I didn't understand the gravity of it until much later and. You know, I've still never been to New York, so I've never really seen, you know, I never got the chance to see them, you know, in person or have any type of, you know, association with them. So mm-hmm. a lot, and this is might be helped by seeing Men on Wire, which, you know, really stresses this, really stresses Philippe Petit's story, um, you know, because he's telling it and you can really feel his enthusiasm and really feel just his spirit and just just the 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 real the importance of his accomplishment uh just for himself and and for everyone around him i felt the same way honestly watched watching the walk watching the final part of the walk mm-hmm. um i honestly i like jordan joseph gordon levitt i don't think he really changes anything 
about his usual mannerisms and you know the accent isn't the best i don't think it's quite as cartoonish as some people say but you know i'm not about to defend it any more than that mm-hmm. uh, but i think that i think that his energy really matches the energy of the actual person who you know you'd see you'd see prominent pretty prominently in the documentary mm-hmm. um and there's just something about i think I think the walk itself is probably it makes a case for Robert Zemeckis as a really great filmmaker again, which I haven't seen in a long, long time. Uh, there are just individual images that of just you know Joseph Gordon-Levitt in between the towers, and I know it's all fake and everything; it's all green screen CGI and shit, but. I mean, just something about uh, just the triumph of it uh, moved me, honestly. Like, I kind of I burst into tears a little bit in a couple of moments. I did not expect to. I didn't go into this with any type of, like, expecting to be, you know, moved at all by it, you know. it. You know, I didn't – I thought Flight really kind of fucked up in the, the last half, but – in general, it was just kind of a silly alcoholism movie, to be honest. And mm. just the, it's it seemed like it was it was just made to just so Robert Zemeckis could make a fly, plane fly upside down, yeah, um, uh, on some level. And then you know all of his his Christmas movies are super weird to look at. Beowulf. Uh, which one? Beowulf too. Oh yeah, but I don't know. This worked for me, and you know. Uh, I know you have significant issues with the buildup of this, and I I sympathize with them in some on some level on some level, and I can't really defend it formally in the that regard or anything like that. But um, I don't works, know. I, works, I, I, I was just yeah, it just worked for me. I was just entertained yeah. by it. And the, not, this isn't one of my favorite movies of the year or anything like that. But the walk itself, yeah, it was it really impacted me as much as everyone said it would. Yeah. The the technical craftsmanship and making it feel real because this movie did not have a large budget, so I'm really impressed that they managed really to do this for some for something not outrageous. Unfortunately, for Zemeckis, this movie isn't making any money. It, it's a major, major uh, bomb. bust, bomb. Yeah, but it, it wasn't made for something as expensive as a superhero movie mm. or even something like The Martian. So. It's Maybe, not going to kill the studio. I don't know. They don't really go to the Chinese government like they do in The Martian, but maybe the Chinese box office would be better. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think there, yeah, there is a good chance. Um, for me, a lot of the buildup felt superfluous and mm-hmm. didn't build the tension for me up to the walk. But as soon as the walk started, it almost like snapped me awake. Like, oh, okay, here we go. This, this is going to be it. This, this is what we're going to do. Like a lot, and a lot of the si- <laughs> and a lot of the side characters were uh, just didn't impress me. Yeah, uh, I I think I think Levitt's fine. Um, I, yeah. I I think it is a bit cartoonish, but I think that's sort of what Zemeckis is going for almost. Yeah, um, it that, doesn't bother me. Zemeckis seems like a filmmaker that even is even in his films that are live action and take place in the real world, it, it feels like he just has lost interest in like. 
I don't know, the machinations of real human beings. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he, I mean, his fascination with motion capture and just with everything being so kind of fake. Like, even in a lot of the early flashbacks, a lot of them feel weirdly green screened. I mean, there was one point early in the film that was just like cringing. It just looked really bad. Like, it was really bad green screen. Like, I think when he was walking on a tightrope, one of the earlier sequences. Mm-hmm. But, um, was yeah. Was the huge, uh, wire falling to the ground and hitting you in the face but did it bother you because oh. <laughs> i remember on the last oh. podcast for some reason or one of our podcasts i think this came up and or yeah, maybe we're just that, talking was, offline i thought that was one of the stupidest 3d shots i've ever seen because it, <laughs> it, it's, it's in the trailer and <sighs> i mean i didn't see it in 3d which like is good i guess because the thing wasn't in my fuck actually in my fucking face but there's something about seeing Okay, I, I see most of my movies in 2D. I'm not a person that feels like, oh, they put it on 3D. That means it's meant to be that seen that way. Yeah, there's a, a few movies that are obvious for that. In Gravity, I think, was obvious for that. Life of Pi, mm-hmm. Avatar. That's the lot. Those are the only few I can think of, honestly. Um, uh, I don't feel I don't see the point in wasting my money, to be honest with you. And I don't. I wear glasses. I don't and like. Yet, I don't so. like contacts. I'm not gonna. I don't want to wear fucking contacts. So putting the glasses over my glasses is always kind of uncomfortable. Yes, so absolutely. Especially in those, like, I think the real D ones are a lot better, but I think one of those early, like, digital 3D glasses, they were just, like, big boxes or whatever. Fucking just super uncomfortable. I mean, Uh, I I only saw The Martian 3D out of necessity. I saw The Walk in 3D because I saw it during its... IMAX 3D... IMAX 3D is, uh, from what I understand, just a whole lot better. It is. And, and, see, I saw the march at the 3D. local theater, and it, and they screened it way too shot, uh, 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 way too dark. Where uh, like, yeah, it has where a Chiwetel, problem. That's where, another Ch- problem I have with 3D. Or Chiwetel Ejiofor and Donald Glover, two African American, or not, not <laughs> sorry, two black actors because Ejiofor is British. Uh, their faces would wash out. <laughs> That's unfortunate for those actors. Uh, I've heard. Um, I didn't see Pacific Rim in 3D because I heard people uh, actually give the whole film like negative reviews. Just I think it's a legitimate reason because they legitimately couldn't see anything because yeah. of the 3D. Um, so I want to rewatch yeah, the. Martian. I usually don't fuck with 3D movies at all. Sorry, go on. Um, I might catch the March Martian like in Again, a few in weeks during a matinee. It, it, yeah. Uh, yeah. A nice cheap matinee in 2D because I bet I would enjoy it yeah. even a little more. And I already do. Um, the Walk is probably not for me going to be a movie I, I ever watch again. Nah, um, probably not for it, me either. Even though I like it, I don't want to see it in anything that's not a theater. There's probably I, not going to be a re-release anytime soon. Yeah, but what I will say is that if you have the weekend and you're there and there's nothing else that's piquing your interest, to see it. I do urge people yeah. to see it yeah. because it's not a movie that deserves to be as big of a bomb as it is, and. For me, the I don't hate it. It's not a, ultimately a bad movie for me because the walk itself is pretty breathtaking, and it does redeem the film yeah. to make it okay. Yeah, and, and 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 there have been some critics that have said that you know, yeah, you, you yeah you should see it, but you know only see it in IMAX 3D. I don't necessarily agree with that. I saw it yeah. in a normal screen in 2D, and it was really impactful. I mean, maybe if you're the person that needs the 3D experience, then or or just prefers in general that IMAX experience for especially if you're something 
just all encompassing like the walk mm-hmm. sequence then yeah i understand that go ahead but i'm yeah. just saying that you don't need it to enjoy this to enjoy this movie because i did yeah it did look nice in 3d it's probably the best use of it since i mean i like life of Pi's three uh, yeah oh yeah it's true i forgot about gravity's 3d um yeah, yeah it's, it's about on that level in terms of the use of the 3d yeah awesome all right so, so uh do you want to talk about uh, – I just saw The Third Man for the first time. Yeah, you Because uh, the Rialto, uh, Rialto Films is, uh, has been doing the, the reissue. I think it came out – when did it come out? Like earlier this year, June, something like that? Yeah, that's when I saw it at, the, at our local Alamo. Yeah. Um, Carol Reed. Uh, TJ, you've seen this movie so many more times than me. You, you, how about you introduce this? Okay, so this movie has a great soundtrack. Oh yeah, but um, yeah, I was weirded out at first, but I I got into it. (laughs) It's really like off-putting at first. I totally agree. Yeah, the third man is Carol Reed's third uh, of his famous noirs he did in the late '40s, all in various uh, decrepit European cities right after World War II. And these films are some of the greatest use of noir shadows and the wet streets and the lights sheen off of them. It's it's these are some of the and the very German expressionist. Yes, as a very influenced from uh, Orson Welles' directorial work, which is great because Orson Welles in this movie and the sort of tilted uh, camera. Every oh yeah. yeah, I love that effect. This <laughs> it was is, so is, it was so strange. Like I didn't, I haven't, yeah. I haven't seen a movie from that era shot that way before. This is it, it's to me, it's a quintessential post-war movie. Um, mm. Is that's not directly about the war, uh, though yeah. it kind of is because it's a, it is about people like smuggling drugs, uh, like uh, dr- drugs that would, should go to people to to make them less ill during mm. wartime. So it does have that connection of the sort of immorality that can occur during war, but it's not really a war movie. It's it's in many ways a whodunit, in many ways uh, trying to find this man, and yeah. we have our very own Jaws's shark in Orson Welles. The whole movie is mm. like building up the 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 introduction of this 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 character that you know has to be in the movie because mm-hmm. Orson Welles's name is in the credits. You're like. Yeah. When is Orson Welles going to fucking be in this movie? And when he shows up, he does not disappoint. Yeah. There's a specific phrase for it that I heard uh, someone use in discussion about this movie, but like um, something like a title character, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, where you come in at like an hour in or something like that, and everyone is talking about you before that. It's sort of mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a, a contemporary example is uh, sort of like John Wick. How uh, he doesn't come in an hour in, but he comes in like I don't know twenty minutes in, and people are just talking about oh John Wick, John Wick, and then Keanu Reeves <laughs> nice shows up. Guy with the dog, <laughs> yeah, a nice guy with the dog until I'm back. <laughs> so yes, I've connected a, a noir masterpiece to uh, John Wick. <laughs> My job is done. I can connect. I mean, I'd be okay with connecting many things to John Wick, right? But it's. Oh yeah, this is the third man is pure pleasure in, on cellular. Yeah, it's, this is my this is my first time seeing it, and uh, there's something really refreshing about uh, 
seeing a, <laughs> this is going to sound super non-criticy, but like a super old movie, especially <laughs> on a big screen. I remember seeing um, Rear Window and oh, that's awesome uh, on a big screen, and that was a super fun time. And uh, God, I miss Vertigo. That would be amazing on a big screen. That would be. Um, but uh, I was super glad I got to see this. It was like a one time, like it was like five thirty on a Saturday. Thankfully on a Saturday, I wanted to be able to make it otherwise. You know, I don't have a ton substantive to say about it because everything, you know, it's a masterpiece. Everything that's everything that that is said about it is true, uh, and it's just as satisfying to sort of go back and think about it. I read your letterboxed reviews, and I got a lot out of them. I got more out of the movie from that uh, from your analyses. You know, thanks. I'm glad because it's a movie that I. I can't suggest it to enough people. There's just one. There's this one lady I work with. She's 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 a wonderful person, and she loves old movies. So she'll come up to me and talk to Philadelphia Story or yeah. The Third Man or uh, anything with Cary Grant or Orson Welles or all those sort of like old famous actors. Or like her favorite movie ever, I think, is Laura, which is a really good noir. Mm. That's uh, with Vincent Price and oh. uh, not over the top Vincent Price either. Just regular, <laughs> slightly weird voice Vincent Price. But um, but I mean, we just she agrees. I mean, you could just look at the last shot of this movie and know so perfect it is. It's like the perfect. It's a nice frame. It's a, it's a callback to the beginning. It's just a, yeah. the perfect way to end this movie. I posted that picture on Facebook recently, and a friend of mine goes, "Wherever this is in the world, we must go." I'm like, <laughs> like it. Well, it's Vienna, so we'll have to save up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's also just. It's just perfect in how it undercuts sort of normal thematic expectations of mm-hmm. you know how a movie would end in that era. You know, it, you know, it, just, it would just normally end with you know a small conversation between the two, and then I don't know they would kiss or go into a car or something like that. Exactly. Uh, and there, nope, she just walks off. Yep. Yep. And he misses his flight because of it. <laughs> and I know. He has a sense of humor about it. He just lights a cigarette and throws it across <laughs> the street and just goes on his way. It's the a end. it's a perfect ending in in so many ways. Yeah, uh, uh, you you told me off mic about the how much the the sewer scene affected you, the, the climax. <laughs> no, I tweeted about it. Yeah, yeah, I tweeted that was it, and I favorited it or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm always like afraid of parking by sewers. It, it's one of my weird like takes. Just like tiny fears like, that like, don't make like sense. Is like Pennywise gonna get you? <laughs> I actually haven't seen it or read it, but <laughs> but. Yeah, that's a good association, but like, it's probably because I'm afraid I'll fall into them, which doesn't make any fucking sense because I, <laughs> I, I don't think I, you know, I'm I'm too big, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that activated my fear of sewers, and then I saw the walk um, earlier that day, actually, and that that certainly activated my fear of heights. <laughs> so so you just were really anxious by the end of the day. Saw <laughs> some good movies, but Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the third man didn't make uh, like after the after the walk. Third man didn't make me anxious. <laughs> That's good. That's good. But yeah, yeah it, it's it's pleasure. It's it's just pure pleasure. Yeah, it's one of those just crown crown jewels of 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 film that's just you know uh, all the elements just come together in a perfect way. Oh yeah, people go, go see this movie. Spend two hundred fifty bucks and buy the Criterion Blu-ray. <laughs> uh, I, think, a, I think you can wait a couple months. I think they might reissue one on DVD after this. Uh, uh, I hope they do because, like, they have a copy at my local video rental store. I thought about losing it. Mm-hmm. 
Wait, what? Losing it. Oh. <laughs> I lost the movie. How much do I owe you? Twenty bucks. <laughs> I would never actually. Do that. Oh. And but I thought about it. Oh. So speaking of pure pleasure, uh, let's talk about Noah Baumbach's not uh, medi- mediocre movie. Uh, while we're young, I'm sorry. No, I mean uh, Mistress America. <laughs> um, yeah, while we're young, kind of yeah. mediocre. Yeah, doesn't really work. It's like I'm not. Like it's an okay like all oh, the funny moments are in the trailer. Yeah, it's an okay like oh we're we're old you know wah movie. It's an okay until it becomes this weird like conspiracy documentary like <laughs> not a documentary but about like documentaries and it just has this conspiracy like there's a revelation about the, the Adam Driver character that's just fucking stupid. <laughs> and like yeah I, I can't wrap my head around the third um, act there. Mistress America. It's just a weird direction that just—it's just a weird tangent that doesn't work. Like, and a lot of people say the the, the naysay. Mistress America is not unanimously adored, and a lot of the naysayers do say it is because of the third act that does the same thing. But to me, the third Mm. act of Mistress America, which is the my favorite comedic set piece in forever (laughs) at this Connecticut mansion. (laughs) Um, I just just all these bougie, all these bougie people in one room. (laughs) Exactly. So Mistress America is Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig's collaboration writing, mm-hmm. and he's directing and she's acting. Yeah. Um, it's it's in many ways a spiritual follow up to to what me has become one of my favorite films. And I wouldn't have said this a couple years ago when we reviewed it on this podcast is Francis Ha, mm. um, which truly is like every time I watch it, I love that movie more. Yeah, like, just, I can't pick apart too many flaws about it. Yeah, it, it's a per, it, both this and Mich- Francis Hahn vs. America are also both under an hour and a half long. So they really oh, yeah. do they really do cut a lot of flaws <laughs> out just by being that short. But th- this move where Francis Ha was um, Baumbach and Gerwig trying to recreate the French New Wave, and where While We're Young is Baumbach trying to be Woody Allen again. Um, Mistress America is their take on the screwball comedy. It's still about mm. young people in New York today we can say you can say this and francis Ha are still sort of alany no yeah no i i don't think Baumbach's ever gonna shake that but but mm. to me yeah while we're young wasn't bringing up any other influence where i think Baumbach <laughs> has proven to be at his best when he's juggling yeah. it's very hard to have any have a story about educated people in new york city without uh, having some alan in there somewhere no, I agree. Woody Allen, uh, for better and for, or for worse, has become like the quintessential, yeah, like uh, upper class intellectual New Yorkian, like character. Like he he has created that character in cinema in a way that <laughs> has always been replicated, whether people are trying to or not. Um, but in Mistress America, while it, I totally would agree, it's still there. It's just, it's wonderfully focused on these two women. Yeah. Um, one of, the first of which is played by Greta Gerwig. And the second by Lola Kirk, who was in Gone Girl, and that kind of blew my mind. Really? Who'd you play? Lola, I believe she's the pregnant neighbor. No, the pregnant neighbor is Casey Wilson. Okay, who is? She's in Gone Girl. Um, she Lola might Kirk be is... like one of Ben oh. Affleck's students or something that she. That he takes oh, the, the the one that he's fucking. <laughs> yes, TJ, the one that Ben Affleck is fucking. Is it? It's Greta. She plays Greta. <laughs> Is, is Greta the person he have, he's having an affair with in Gone Girl? 
I guess she's like in one or two scenes at okay. most. That character. Okay. Well, Lola Kirk is in nothing really else. Of she was in Law and Order, Order SVU for. She's, she's really good in, in in Mistress America. That's, that's yes. Like, she plays Tracy, and she's a wonderful lead because really she is the lead. Well, uh, she meets this person who's going to become her sister in law, who's played by Greta Gerwig, who is this woman who simultaneously has everything figured out. And nothing figured out. Her introduction coming down the stairs with the sort of like poppy <laughs> synth soundtrack they have the whole movie is the Such second nice funniest moment of the movie where she says hi. And it takes her much longer than she thinks <laughs> to walk down the stairs. Like the movie is this movie's fast paced. This movie is going through jokes at a much faster rate than Boundback ha- has used in previous films. This isn't as naturalistic as Francis Ha. What this is yeah. is very much stylized dialogue where yeah. it, I, I can imagine it taking people out initially because the, the, they're talking much faster than people talk in real life. They're talking like people in the Philadelphia story, like uh, the, mm. the sort yeah. of Catherine Hepburn, Jimmy Stewart and uh, Cary Grant just spit firing dialogue at each other. <laughs> and I hear it's yeah. very Howard Hawksian, but I've only seen Howard Hawks's. Uh, I've only seen his uh, some of his noirs and some of his westerns. I haven't seen his uh, uh, screwball comedies. Hmm. Um, but like, so the sort of old school black and white 1930s. I'm going to spit dialogue at you faster than you can even take. It mixes that with a sort of stage farce when it gets to its climax, yeah. where people are running in and out of doors and just spitting dialogue at each other. And you have these side characters who are fully formed characters, even though they're only <laughs> in this one scene. Like the pregnant lady is an amazing <laughs> character. In that yeah. you you know everything you need to know about her for her to make sense in this scene. She only serves really, uh, she, she does have some intelligent things to say, but she mostly serves a comedic purpose, <laughs> and it all just fits to make the world of this of this mansion of Greta Gerwig's ex fiance's um, house with him and his current wife. Like it just makes that it just makes the whole scene sing, and it just I was just sitting there like in awe of how funny this was, like. It wasn't even a laugh out loud. It was a, a stupid grin funny mm. for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. There's so um, – I like the – I like Baumbach's class bitterness mm-hmm. in this film. It's not too much. Like there's a little bit – there's a little bit of that going on in uh, – what's it called? Uh, the, uh, While We Were Young, that movie. Yeah. Maybe not with class, but just a lot of bitterness going on. But for me, like this is this was the appropriate level of bitterness, and yeah. for me, you know, in, in a lot of ways, this is a companion piece to Francis Ha, and I think Francis Ha was really about someone that you know was at, at this point in her life when she couldn't act like she was in her twenties anymore, and she had to get her shit together and figure out where she's going, and for me. This film is more about aspiration. Um, the main character aspires to be in this literary society. And in a lot of ways, she aspires to be Greta Gerwig in a lot of ways. But Greta Gerwig, she has her asp- she has her own goals and aspirations that she's not even close to reaching. Uh, she's a mess in a lot of ways. And it's almost about the fallacy of that, that kind of fake... Uh, you know, once again, aspiration, uh, you know, the ending, you know, the way the literary society stuff goes, yeah. you know, that seems totally in line with, you know, 
Noah Baumbach's Gen Xer fuck the man type of <laughs> type of mentality. Yeah. Which, you know, I like that that is becoming a little bit more of a presence along with the characters, you know, the type of filmmaking character that he developed uh, with Greta Gerwig and Francis Ha. Oh yeah, the um to me in in a way this is more subtle in a way. Like it's, yeah. I wouldn't say it's a subtle film. Um, it's not going for subtlety, but what it does do is it feels more natural and not existing just to prove the point. Like you, I, I, you have to care about the characters first. Like, and I think the little Kirk and Greta Gerwig characters are both charming in this film. Before I start caring about whether um, this millennial, this thirty-something-year-old woman, is going to get her shit together as like a representation for her age and class and. And, and gender in a way and location like all those things come into play with <laughs> with especially Greta Gerwig's character but the little Kirk, Kirk character too and the fact that even more than oh this is a movie about people who are constantly on Twitter this is a film about <laughs> two sisters who are I mean not to spoil anything but aren't going to become actual sisters still finding that that sort of sorority or I don't know what you would say like, the female version of fraternity uh, like the familial yeah. relationship sorority without, yeah <laughs> to find that sort of familial relationship without actually being related yeah sisterhood yeah and it ends in a very like nice non not completely bitter way which is yeah nice um i like squid and the whale and i haven't seen kicking and screaming and greenberg and all the other bound back bitter movies but yeah. i can already tell i prefer him when he's it has that little bit of sentiment. Yeah. And I think yeah, Greta Gerwig so pulls that out of him. I think Greta Gerwig, when she is working on this, both those screenplays with him, that she really brings out not necessarily pure optimist, but warmth. Mm. Yes. And she is great in this movie, just like she was great in Francis Ha. She says dialogue in a way that no one else in her generation speaks. Like... <laughs> It, 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 she spits and she spits that dialogue out quickly. She's, all, I mean, she's different from Catherine Hepburn, but she sort of has the confidence to do to act in that way as Catherine Hepburn does. And I would, I, I really hope that Greta Gerwig starts getting bigger roles. I guess she has another screwball style co- co- comedy coming out next year. It's screened at really? the Toronto Film Festival, and it's not a Baumbach movie. So I'm, I'm very intrigued just to see her as a performer grow because I think she has an incredible amount of potential. Like, I know I like Amy Schumer, and I like uh, Melissa McCarthy just fine. I'm mixed on Amy Schumer. Yeah, um, I, I like a lot of her, the skits on her show. I didn't see the, Yeah, I like the, I like a lot of the skits. There's some skits I don't really get down with, and Trainwreck is not good. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't end up seeing Trainwreck. But, I mean, as a persona, I appreciate her. I like her even. Right. And, and Melissa McCarthy in the right amount of, like, Bridesmaid style, I also think it's funny. But I think Gerwig has a lot of potential to be the best comedic actress in her generation. And, yeah. and she's actually younger than those other two, I believe. I, mean, I don't know about Schumer. She's, she's younger than McCarthy. And mm. I think she could stick around for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, can't think of anyone else right now currently. So, yeah. So what's, so what's next? Let's talk about another movie about two women learning to love one another called The Duke of Burgundy. Yeah. Did you talk about this movie earlier this year? Did you bring it no. up? No. I don't think I even brought it up. I might have 
Uh, I know. I don't think I did. So, The Duke of Burgundy is Peter Strickland's second film. Is uh, first since uh, Burberian Sound Studio back in which is good 2013. So this uh, this film and I want to explain in this weird alternate universe where yeah the only f- there's only females mm-hmm. and um these uh, two ladies let me look up I did not come prepared with the actors names these two females <laughs> they're all females um yeah. these two ladies played by fuck you Sidze Bebet Nudson which I didn't get that name right at all and uh, Chiara Diana as uh, Cynthia and Evelyn respectfully so um and they live in this I guess this society where this large community of women uh, are really into the studying of like moths and butterflies uh, so that's interesting uh, <laughs> um, these two late these two women are also in sort of this strange BDSM type relationship where at first it seems like uh, Evelyn is going to Cynthia's house and Cynthia is punishing her but what you really realize is that we have kind of a bossy bottom situation here. It's really (laughs) Evelyn who is pushing Cynthia to uh, sort of go further in a lot of ways and for being a movie about BDSM and being kind of selling itself as sort of this retro Euro schlock type of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, salacious type of thing, there's not an inch of nudity at all in this film, <laughs> which is really is really fascinating, especially because well, I'm not going to say how the original how the first scene climaxes. You'll you'll <laughs> know when you see you'll know when you see it. <laughs> Um, yeah, it it, it kind of starts in a way that you're expecting going to be this trashy erotic film. Yeah, and it's it ends up something kind of beautiful. Yeah, and it's I don't know this movie is beguiling and it's really invites. It's on Netflix right now. People need to yeah. watch it. You need to watch it. Yeah, it's 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 infinitely intriguing. It does not leave your mind for a long time. No. No, it's, and, like yeah. it has some of the best aspects of, of cinema that I've seen so far this year. Costuming is gorgeous, not only the lingerie yeah. <laughs> and, the, but, and the perfume. Yeah, and he, yeah, which I know. Gets a specific credit in the which opening it, credits, it, which is just a, a nice little. That's it's the best credit of the year. Um, <laughs> I, oh, it's wonderful. The opening credits of this movie are very well done. The cat's eyes uh, did the music, and mm. it's I love the score for this. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's also very dynamic. It, it sometimes it's sort of electronicy, sometimes it's strings, sometimes it's pop songs. Like it's a very there's a lot going on, and it never has a false note. Um, the, the obviously cinematography and the um, production design are gorgeous. Like this is a like Mad Max in a lot of ways. This is a world that doesn't explain itself. And I said the same thing about Inside Out. We have a lot of great movies that build mythology in the exact way that I like. I like it. Um, mm. So. I think that I, I would like more movies like this. It's, it's yes. So yeah. Yeah, it's just a really unique vision. Like, clearly no one, you know, this is an art film in a lot of ways. Like, clearly no one asked for this. <laughs> yeah. And if, if people haven't seen um, Barbarian Sound, so it's the last thing we can say about this one. 
uh, they need to go see that one. It's not as yeah. good as the Duke of Burgundy, but it's just a great look at this uh, the, the, the sort it's of very, sound design. It's very as, giallo influenced. Oh yeah, exactly. And, and it's just it's it's Lynchian as well. It has this mm. Lynchian take on, on the giallo uh, the, uh, genre because it's about a sound designer and he's making you know, sounds and everything, sort of like uh, John Travolta's character in Blowout. Oh yeah, that, uh, that film. So so it, this is oh it's so good. Um, mm. so played by Dobby from Harry Potter. Uh, he's mm. the main guy. Uh, who's that? Toby something. Oh, uh, uh, Toby Jones. Toby Jones. Yes. 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 So Toby Jones, who is a great actor. Um, okay. Yeah. So I do want, before we end this, I do want to touch upon the look of silence. Yes. So look of silence, follow up to the amazing canonical documentary by Josh Rappenheimer called the act of killing is the completely different take on the Indonesian genocide of the ethnic Chinese and supposed communists. Yes. Um, Who were really just normal people that anyone that disagreed with, you know, the authority. Intellect, left-leaning intellectuals. Yeah. uh, Farmers who who didn't have own property because they could unite, you know, workers unite kind of situation. Mm. Just pretty much anyone who... Was it a danger to the to the establishment? Yeah. Even though in a, in many ways the the communists were the establishment in the sixties, but when it, but anyone who was in danger of joining that cause, they were out. A million people died in less than a year. Um, and the act of killing is about looking through the point of view of Anwar Congo and Herman uh, Kodo um, as they brag and recreate. In very like fever dream style, the 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 killings themselves as a sort of like film, as a gangster movie. Here, we get to look through the point of view of the younger brother of one of those killed during these uh, this genocide. And this is this is a this is an important film, just as the first one was. It's every bit as important as the act of killing. And in many ways, it's a lot more straightforward. Yeah. Yeah, you could say that. It doesn't have... Some people have criticized it because it doesn't have the experimental nature of the act of mm-hmm. killing. Um, it's not meant to be the same thing, I don't no. think. I mean, it's an extension in a lot of ways, and a lot of ways the other side. Or not really the other side, but just a different experience of you know something that you know killed a million people, I think, around there. Um if there was and, a flaw to the act of killing, it was it was that we didn't get this perspective. So the fact right. that this film exists, it's necessary. yeah, it's in, it's necessary for not only its own sake but for the act of killing. So we get to see and empathize with these people. I mean, yeah, it, it's powerful. Like, it, it's you sit there as this optometrist, uh, the, the young man who, who's the main character in the film. Is going from per- well, he's not even young. He's born in like late sixties, yeah. but um, but this this he looks young. This man going yeah. around and checking people's eyes, and as he's checking their eyes, they have these big, ridiculous red goggles as he's putting different mm-hmm. lenses in. He goes, yeah. so pretty much asked, so why did you kill my brother? <laughs> um, and that's the oversimplification, essentially, of what his interviews are doing, but that's what he's getting to. He's, he's, he's asking them why, how it makes them feel. He's asking some of the same questions that Joshua was getting around to towards the end of the act of killing, Josh Roffenheimer. And here, you get to see these people react in many different ways. 
the first man, the, the guy who's in the uh, in, in the poster, the great poster um, of this film. Yeah. Uh, he's just biting his lip, like he's just this nervous tick, like he doesn't know how to like. Uh, shit, I'm on candid camera kind of situation. <laughs> he's almost panicking, and other people react angrily. Other people react not at all. The final confrontation in this film is between a whole family. Ooh. And they feel cheated. Yeah. They feel like they, they've been caught. Like they don't want to hear about what their father did. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really damning in how it shows how uh, just atrocities of the past get distorted and how uh, how people close to certain events like uh, fucking Southerners don't like – I mean I'm sorry. I don't want to make a generalization. Some Southerners that depend, depend on the character – I hate to bring the Confederate flag situation to this, but some people that can well, yeah. that defend it don't understand the exact don't understand what it actually means, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and it it shows how uh, as her- as generations go by, the nature of just the horrors of what went on very very recently. Something about just family ties and cultural ties has a way of, and the media too, which the acting film goes into, has a way of completely distorting that and twisting it and making it just not at all resemble what history actually is. Like, there's people that are fucking Holocaust deniers. Yeah, that's which, I mean, I'm reading Night right now again. I read it every year for, mm, for school. Mm, and it's Yeah, it, I didn't it, read that, but my brother did. It pisses me off. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it is that. I mean, the... The, the most criticized aspect of this film is 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 this scene hmm. with the father of our main character of our main person, and as he's he's in the he's in the basement, and he's and he has dementia and he's just sort of wandering around not knowing where he is. Some people are like accusing Oppenheimer of taking advantage of the situation because why is no one helping this man? Like <laughs> you can only be a fly on the wall so much. How much of it is staged and sort of. But to me, it's such a powerful metaphor. Like, am I, am I, I'm, I'm trying to pull up my letterbox review because um, this scene, actually, even though it's the most criticized scene in the film, really put it over the top for me. Hmm. In which, and what I said was, a nation that has atrophied what it knows of its atrocities to the point of patriotic dementia, a look of silence stares soberly into the stranger's houses, hoping for answers that won't come. So just as that old man is sort of in the basement... Ooh, like not being able to spit and fire. Yeah, <laughs> as he's in the basement, he doesn't know anything. He has forgotten his own son who died, mm. and just as the country has, he yes. is he is the country in microcosm. And to me, that it makes that scene necessary, and it's it's powerful. This is one of the best films of the year, and I yes. feel like it's I feel like it, unlike the act of killing, because the act of killing made such a big dent. It, it, in the cinematic landscape. Yeah. This is such a quiet movie. Maybe it deserves a sort of quieter unanimous praise that it's getting as opposed to the, yeah. I mean, it still has a fairly high rotten tomatoes. Score. Oh yeah. No, I mean, no people yeah, are yeah. this movie. Oh, absolutely. This is the, the naysayers are few and far between. And some people who hate the act of killing love this film. Really? Yeah. This is the people who thought the because act of it, killing... it does a different, it's on the different side. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so some people couldn't, justify not looking at the victim perspective hmm. uh, yeah. intellectually and this film corrects that yeah okay so there's like a, a small handful more that like 
could we say Phoenix for when I see it again, or like when it's on DVD yeah, or yeah. something? Yeah. Okay, so um, you can talk about Grandma for a sec, or do you want to like talk about the end of the tour just really quickly? Let's just or... finish with the end of the tour. Let's okay. just finish strong with the end of the tour. All right, so so Grandma really quickly. Okay, so Grandma is a film starring Lily Tomlin in which she plays a liberal, uh, lesbian, uh, pot-smoking, uh, <laughs> rebellious poet, poet grandmother, and she's mm. kind of a badass in this movie. Um, the movie is only 70-something minutes long. It's a breeze. I approve of that. I approve. It, uh, it, ha- it isn't complex. It's a simple story about a grandmother taking her granddaughter to get an abortion. But she meets all these cast of characters, like Laverne Cox is in it. Sam Elliott has a fantastic scene proving mm-hmm. that his acting chops are much better than many people uh, would give him credit for. And ultimately, it's an acting showcase for Lily Tomlin, but it's a good one. It's not yeah. a great film, but I liked it. Um, mm. yeah. I haven't thought about it much since, to be honest. Uh, but it is a film that I did enjoy for its very short running time. And I think people should right. see it. I think it's a great way to just spend less than an hour and 20 minutes on it. Yeah, I'm sure once <laughs> it's, I'm sure once it's on um, instant Netflix or Amazon or something like that, I'll end up seeing it. Um, so, the, so then uh, to finish off, we have James Ponsoltz's uh, End of the Tour, which stars... Um, Jason Jason Siegel playing uh, well. Okay, the story is basically the uh, an interview between aspiring writer David Lipsky and uh, David. Uh, God damn, what's his fucking name? Uh, David David Foster Wallace. Yes. Shortly after the release of Inher- um, I almost said Inherent Vice, yeah, Infinite Jest, uh, <laughs> which you know, if you haven't heard of that that book, is just thousand page just brick of uh, crazy uh, I mean I haven't read it but you know people say the prose is just wild it um, is uh, I, I, go on I, I, I have read it I was just I was, I was backing up what you're saying it yeah is. Um, so basically David Lipsky is a Rolling Stone writer at this point and he's interviewing uh, David Foster Wallace and the the movie is basically just uh, basically just that interview, uh, and, it, and it takes place in different locations, and you know they sort of go through different emotional arcs, and there's always a sense that you know there's always a sense that David Lipsky is sort of admiring admiring Foster Wall David Foster Wallace, but also also envying him in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and um, there's always like the sense that you know they do kind of want to be personable and talk about talk about shit but you know there's always that there's always the the fucking tape recorder getting in the way of that getting in the way of that natural conversation yeah and i think the actors do a pretty good job of 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 sort of um of acting out that sort of relationship i I mean i think jesse eisenberg's talented i like him in almost everything i see him and i like jason siegel and this is his first really dramatic role i've ever seen for him to, to dig into and I think they both do a good job. I mean, I, I don't think that this film is reinventing the wheel, but I don't think it has to. I, I, and I don't think this film really deserves this, some of the criticisms it's received for mm. uh, for the way it depicts David Foster Wallace. You're I, not going to depict, like, you're not going to depict anyone correct. 
Like it's really oh, difficult absolutely. to depict to pick people correctly, and people need to kind of people need to give people need to give fictitious license in some areas. Not that not that they're blatantly lying about him. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Oh so, yeah, no, exactly. Like it's always an approximation. Yeah. Um, which is going to make whenever I end up seeing Steve Jobs interesting, because I hear that the film is very fictitious in many ways. It's very, it really moves far away from what it actually was to, to, to more Sorkin-esque reality, um, which could be great or could be terrible. It's Sorkin. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, it, but I think this movie is does a pretty good job of being pretty close to it, being earnest but not being too sentimentally, like, like revere, uh, too sentimentally revering the yeah. the icon that is David Foster. Yes, yeah. I think if I have beef with this, it's just in that I really don't like the framing aspect. Of, yeah, that's yeah, not good. Um, beginning with David Lipsky finding out about David Foster Wallace's suicide, I think that immediately just puts the crosshairs on him. As future suicide, um, just by that being the first shot, of the, the first scene of the film, um, it doesn't treat him that way entirely the rest of the time. But it's just a bad like, it's just a bad way to introduce David Foster Wallace. I really hate the idea of defining people by their suicides, I or, or their deaths. Honestly, especially when they die, you know, young, or you know, the the way the way people. Deify Kurt Cobain, for example, get just angers me honestly, and that that's nothing to do with my, my nothing to do with my opinion on on Nirvana, but it's just because like oh yeah, um, it is always I'm, about I am being more respectful to Kurt Cobain's le- memory by you know acknowledging what the reality of it is than people like I haven't seen Montage of Heck, but I've heard that it's a spe- it's sort of guilty in just. Uh, Ne- legend legendizing that's not a fucking word uh i like it though you know what i mean like yeah absolutely stoking the whole legendary status of kurt and of more of a suicide and the romance and, and like just how people romanticize his fucking yeah uh, i mean he died in ways that are not we're sort of getting off of off of topic but 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 you know. but, but you're bringing up the, the big issue with by bringing up something like Nirvana, which is very uh, David Foster Wallace of you, right? Um, by um, <laughs> digressing, this is like, this is like a yeah. footnote in the podcast uh, because he loved his footnotes. The but by bringing that up, you're bringing up a really strong criticism against the film, even though it's a film I think we both admire. Yeah. Um, I, I like Ponsel's sort of very conservative, simple way of telling stories. It, it's refreshing in, in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. I thought Spectacular Now was sort of refreshingly unstylized. Yeah. Um, but this this is another film that's like that. But uh, Glenn Kenny, the, the film critic, is a bit too close to the subject to ever appreciate this movie. He despises yeah. this film because he was friends and an editor for David Foster Wallace. Huh. And he hates this film. He hates Siegel in it. He says he's a Hulk. He's nothing like the graceful friend. <laughs> like, like, yeah, he just he, it doesn't work for him at all because he's too close yeah. to the subject. And he says the most offensive thing is the ghoulish way that he's performed. He's always performed as a dead man, in a way. He's always performed, and the frame sets that up. The frame sets him up as a dead man. So you're always looking Some back. Some of the later a, scenes, I kind of feel that way. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, he's uh, in the dark and sort of explaining his, you know, the darkness of his thoughts or whatever. It seemed a little bit like, you know, he's going to fucking die soon, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, like, that does hold the back. That, that does hold the movie back from being great. Like, to me, um, an example of a film that is about, I mean, granted, this figure is not dead, but this figure felt dead for many years, is the um, Brian Wilson biopic from earlier mm. in the year. Love and Mercy, I think, does a better job of depicting a real-life person um, just because I, it gets... I, granted, Brian Wilson's not dead, but it gets away from that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The way it it doesn't romanticize. Man. Yeah, no. I, I mean, the closing credits do. But... but <laughs> But, but but those always feel tacked on anyway. But um the but the film itself, I think Love and Mercy is a, a better film for the way it depicts a real figure because it because Paul Dano does perfectly hit the the, the Brian Wilson pitch and um, John Cusack does not. But it's 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 in a way that dissonance that makes that film more interesting. Mm. Um, while here I feel like yeah he's being played as a dead man though I still admire. The performance, and I admire the film on it. Yeah, um, and then I then then I also just sort of feel like this is sort of like Grandma with You, where I haven't really thought about this a whole lot mm-hmm. since. Yeah, I haven't either. And I saw this, I saw this Phoenix right after this. Oh, okay. and this is and it was and it just had more of an impression on me. So yeah, I'll I mean, this is still good, but I'm not. I don't know if I'd be emphatic about seeing it again or just it's be a like perfect movie to catch you know. on Netflix instant. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so um that's the end of the podcast do you have any like uh dvd recommendations or something yeah um i just rewatched the exorcist and it's a fucking masterpiece all right see it yeah um i recommend the counselor fucking see there it there we go director's well, cut director's cut specifically also if you can find the the, the third band blu-ray uh buy it and send it to this address that's appearing at the bottom of your screen <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us and listening to the Abandoned Theater podcast, and um, we hope you have a good time with the rest of your life. (laughs) Enjoy a good movie. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye.